Welcome to Views from Stadium Boulevard. I'm Harley Johnson. And I'm Hannah Harshi. And we're back for another week of your favorite Michigan sports podcast. And this week we are discussing all of the breaking news that has occurred in the past week of Michigan sports, including, well, Michigan football specifically. There was a lot of Michigan football gossip this week, mm-hmm. um, including the drama between our boys Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel, which is the backstory behind the rumors of Harbaugh going to the NFL, um, Blake Horam's return, burgers, and then we're going to close out the episode with a discussion on traumatic brain injuries. As we promised last week, we are we read a chapter of the book Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back by Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davidson, and we're kind of going to have a little discussion on the moral and ethical implications of participating in the football industry as fans and viewers and lovers of the sport, um, given what we know and what we don't know about traumatic brain injuries. So definitely a mixed bag, definitely a lot going on this week, but we are going to start with a very important, consequential, meaningful subject in the hearts of Michigan sports fans, which is burgers from the Brown Jug. Or more specifically, Burgergate, as it has become so fondly known as. Though, I'll set the scene, as you already mentioned. Um, Back during 2020, in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, the entire athletic department, pretty much ours and then everybody else across the country, was in a dead period. You couldn't talk to recruits. um, You couldn't really, like, do a whole lot, obviously. But I guess during that time period, Harbaugh had some recruits that were here that had driven up, made the drive to Ann Arbor, and he met up with them, and they went to the Brown Jug and ate burgers together, and, you know, that's an NCAA violation, especially given the context of the pandemic. That was a rule that was broken, and I guess the funniest part about it was I'm not entirely sure whether, like, the Brown Jug was chosen as, like, a means of trying to, like, hide that you're breaking the rules or because, like, you know, it has some significance in university and to alumni, students, and probably football alumni as well. I don't really know the full extent of it, but we got in trouble for some burgers, specifically burgers from Brown Jug, which is hilarious because a lot of us took to Twitter and we're, like, all reckoning with the ridiculousness of that situation and I think well, a lot of us were in agreement that, like, if we were going to risk it all, I would not want to, like, be eating, no offense to them, a brown chug cheeseburger or burger, whatever one they got. It's just objectively funny because there's uh, so many other places you could go to in Ann Arbor for a good burger. Yeah, I kind of wonder if, like, the opinions on jug is, like, a generational thing because... Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say anything that's going to get Brown Jug in trouble because it is obviously an an institution that's iconic to Ann Arbor. It's well-known. Mm-hmm. Alumni always talk about it. But the reputation that Jug mm-hmm. had in my time in university – why did you probably say university? Like, I'm British. That pro- <laughs> probably still has is let's just say that once people had a real ID that identified them as over 21, there was no longer a need – to go to the brown jug and I'll leave it at that but I mean I don't think that's why Harbaugh was taking them there that's just why it's so funny that it's like brown jug of all places because it's not like it in my time in college it was not this place where everyone was like oh yeah brown jug that's like the best place to go it was like oh no sorry we still have friends who are under 21 so we'll have to go to brown jug I think it's more specifically that, like, you, they probably went to Brown Jug when there was a time where there wasn't somebody checking IDs at the door, which means it was probably before, like, 5 p.m., which is funny. Because imagine just being, going to Brown Jug at, like, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, and you're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry, I want lunch. And you're already on Southview? Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, Brown Jug just, like, did not have that reputation in my brain as a place you just go to get burgers during the day. I don't think I've ever been there earlier than, like, 8 p.m. Um, But to clarify, that the recruiting violation, these recruits were already committed to the University of Michigan, so it's not, 
like it just makes it all a little bit more ridiculous because they were commits. Like it wasn't like he was bribing them with brown jug burgers to come to the University of Michigan. Harbaugh paid for their burgers, which is where the recruiting violation comes in. And then Mm -hmm. he lied about it to investigators. And then somehow the NCAA investigators found his receipt, which I find like extremely weird. Like how did they find that? (laughs) Um, But it was like the fact that Harbaugh lied about it. I guess Michigan knew that they were going to be receiving a notice of NCAA violations from NCAA um, Mm -hmm. sometime soon. But the the investigation, the notice became public earlier this week. And that's when we found out, like, I don't know. I was like, what did Michigan do? Like, what are these recruiting violations? Turns out Harbaugh bought two commits burgers from Brown Jug and it's even more laughable in like the general context of college football where it's an open secret that there are universities where the football players have really nice cars and like before the NIL days um mm-hmm. it like it's just like i don't know it's kind of an open secret that coaches are paying for things that are a lot more expensive and a lot more risque than mm, brown jug burgers. Yeah, the ones. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to think of a word besides, yeah, a lot more risque, besides a lot what more they expensive. Are. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Picture burgers from brown jug. Here, people. <laughs> then you'll know what we're talking about with the risque stuff. But it's like it's no secret, and it's so no the secret. fact that Harbaugh is getting in trouble for the burgers, it's like, come on. I was like, this like, is what you chose to like. You know, be like, oh, this is this this is the final straw here. It's so funny. Um, so, so Harley and I were talking about like if we were to commit commit an NCAA recruiting violation, what would it be? Or on the other hand, if you were a recruit and a coach had to violate NCAA protocol in order to recruit you, what would they have to do? And Harley, do you have an answer for that before I read the views listeners or Twitter followers responses on Twitter. Oh, I like planned an entire day. Oh, let's hear it. Okay, so I would arrive and I would request to go to Pinball Pete and have them give me a $20 bill that I could have made into quarters and play a bunch of games and win like little prizes. And then I would kind of be hungry afterwards so then I would go to one of my favorite places which is Jerusalem Garden and I would get a chicken shawarma wrap and then I would realize you know I have a severe caffeine addiction so I would like pick one of the local coffee shops and have them buy me a latte which one Uh, I'm not sure because Ruse Roast is right there I was thinking like Ruse Roast just because it was like down the street um, mm-hmm. and then while I was, like, continuing my way, I would, like, go to, um, Vault of Midnight there on Main Street, have them buy me some, like, graphic novels and, like, a board game, and then, like, go back up on Washington, walk into Literati, maybe walk out with, like, five bucks. That's a decent amount of money. Well, you better be a five-star recruit in this context. <laughs> They're pulling all the stops for you. And then, um, I would be, like, hungry again after, like, spending all my time, like, buying things, and I would end my day eating a Frida and a Vatito at Frida Vatitos. And then, before I left, I would request specifically to have my to-go bag just full of just wads of cash in there. (laughs) I thought you were gonna say fries. I was like, that's so true. Their fries are so good. But lots of cash work as well. Yeah. Everyone will think they're fries, but it's actually just a lot of money. Well, maybe if Harbaugh goes to the NFL, then we'll need to get Dabo Sweeney up to Michigan so that you can make that happen. <laughs> um. So we tweeted from the views from Pod Twitter. If you were to commit an NCAA, NCAA recruiting violation, what would it be and why? And... The response is, buying a recruit a Home Depot hot dog, which we had to do some investigative journalism on this. Apparently in Chicago, the Home Depots have hot dogs, which, like, that checks out. Um, too much peanut butter on a recruit's PB&J, and because I think they're better with just a little peanut butter, or a little extra peanut butter, sorry. Gonna park my car across two spots and get my team banned from playing for one year. That was from Jack. 
Costco hot dog and soda. Paying for their scooter rentals so they can scoot around Ann Arbor instead of driving. We did a scooter once. They go really fast. And then two more people saying Costco hot dog. People are, like, really passionate about the Costco hot dogs. And I'm like, is there not another hot dog retailer that you would... Well, the Costco hot dogs so is delicious. <laughs> the Costco hot dogs are delicious, and they're only a dollar fifty, which is like I kind of like get it because I would also enjoy someone buying me a Costco hot dog. But maybe also, if you're like, like a two star recruit, it's like a dollar fifty. Oh, someone also said but a Philly cheesesteak. Is it to be funny spots. because I would get in trouble because it's only a dollar and fifty cents. Right, right. I think people and are think more going for the like, humor yeah. angle. And to the, and like, the homage of, like, how ridiculous it sounds to get in trouble over burgers, they're like, you might as well just bought the Costco hot dog for a dollar and fifty cents, and you still would have gotten probably, like, the same, like, slap on the wrist. Well, let's see how much a burger is at, at Brown Jug. I'm looking up the menu right now. I truly went for the extravagance, but I also, like, didn't even pick, like, the most expensive places I could go. I just kind of picked, like, what I'm kind of craving, so. No, you picked, like, the day that we had every summer in Ann Arbor, except for, like, with the funds to, like, provide it. Because I feel like we used to, like, do those things, but just, like, not buy anything. When I was back in Ann Arbor for the Michigan State game and I went to Ruse Roast, I was like, I always want to do a Florida latte from here, but I never could when I was in college. (laughs) Okay, so the burgers... Oh, wow. They really have, like, a variety of, um... Yeah, I wonder which one it was. Oh, do you think it was the Jack Harbaugh's famous brown jug burger? Yes. Or the Michael Phelps' vegan be. beyond burger? Or Ooh. Charles Woodson's patty melt Bo Schembechler's Ooh. burger? Bo just has a burger. Taylor <laughs> the Juan has a Southwestern burger. Harbaugh would never buy Lloyd Carr's barbecue bacon melt burger, <laughs> We have to remember that Harbaugh is not a guy who is friends with everybody. He's not going to support just anyone's burger. He definitely wouldn't like, oh, wow, Jay Harbaugh. Oh, what the heck? Jim Harbaugh has a 10-ounce sirloin steak on the menu. Jay Harbaugh has a spinach pie on the menu. (laughs) No, but imagine going to Project to get a sirloin steak. You know if I had to make a list of people who would most likely what? do that, Jim Harbaugh would be the only one on the list. He's the only person in the world <laughs> I can imagine going to Brown Chuck and buying a $25 sterling steak. <laughs> Tom Brady's corned beef Reuben. You clearly don't Ew. know Tom Brady if you think he's going to eat a corned beef Reuben. He's going to eat a strawberry Reuben. No, he would never. <laughs> he's eating lettuce and only lettuce. He's eating water. That's it. What do we have to do to... Yeah, that's why he doesn't get sunburns. <laughs> what do we have to get do to get a, a Hannah and Harley... Um, what would we... If we had a, a menu item. item like a yeah. What would it be? And why? Oh, Joanne Howard is a sampler basket. You know, that's probably what I would get. Because, you know, we have a little bit of everything. This is so funny. Guess what Aiden Hutchinson has? Um, a basket of fries. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a basket of tater tots, but it was close. I have to pull up our menu from when we like literally did this. Like we literally planned out what we would do if we were to yeah, open a bar oh called Jim Bar Bar. <laughs> oh my okay. god! Did they tater tots? Listen to our episode? <laughs> I don't think we ever talked about it on the podcast. I think we just did this on our own time. Cater tots. We talked about it on the podcast. Henny Pasta, Joe Milkton, JJ's OJ McCarthy, Denard Shoestring <laughs> Fries, Devin Garden Salad, Tom Ado Salad for Tom Brady. What did we say? Tom Ado Salad, like tomato salad. <laughs> Dill Pickles McCaffrey, Milk Shea, or Steak. <laughs> Why are we so funny? Oh, Corn on the Cob. Um, potato forcier. <laughs> a 
Okay. Okay, this, this is, is too much. We gotta move on. This is our legacy here. Delicious. I would commit NCAA violations for all of those things on the menu. Of course. <laughs> I would commit NCAA violations for most things, but maybe that's because I'm not affiliated with them. That's so true. But I think we should get into like how Burger Gate kind of came to be. It is a segment in this huge saga that we have going on. The broader socio-cultural context of Burgergate, no, aka it's the like ward step three in Jimmy's showdown. The thing that, in the list of, <laughs> in the list of like seven things that is this story, Burgergate is three. <laughs> so okay, so we'll give you the full context. Like, yeah, let's like take turns doing like story beats. So, so true. The first story beat is post. Um, Michigan football season, which feels like so long ago already. Rumors came out that Harbaugh was going to the NFL as a coach. <laughs> um, these rumors have come, I believe, every single year he's been a coach. Last year, those rumors were they had a little bit more weight to them because he actually was talking to head coaches or head coaches, what? Um, like NFL people <laughs> to he literally to hear more about. for the yeah. Vikings, yeah. Thank you. That was what I was trying to say. Um, Harbaugh, like last year, the rumors had more weight to them. And then when he did come back to Michigan, he it kind of came out that it was because he was not getting along with Michigan's athletic director, Ward Manuel. And he basically said, like, I don't know. He said, like, this is not going to be a yearly thing that I'm interviewing with the NFL. I'm back and I'm back for good. And I'm hoping that like, well, he didn't say I'm hoping he's like, that will never happen again. Okay, fast forward to this year. Um, Those rumors come out again. At first, everyone dismisses them as, like, the annual BS. Like, they're, like, people always say this about Harbaugh. He has very emphatically said he will be returning to Michigan. There's no reason to think the rumors have any weight. Um, But then those rumors started to come from more and more reputable, like, sports journalism sources. And Harley and I said in our episode last week that it seems probable that the reason those rumors were coming from such reputable sources is because they were semi-true, not like meaning that Harbaugh and Ward Manuel have their little problems and it was probably a contract negotiation thing where Harbaugh was using talking to the NFL as leverage to try to get a better contract at Michigan. So not necessarily that he wants to go to the NFL, but that if he's not getting the respect he deserves for being extremely successful at a high level at Michigan, then he wants to show his boss that he's wanted elsewhere and can make a lot more money elsewhere, Um, which is, in terms of, like, normal people jobs, like, a thing you do. Okay, next point. Next point. Okay. Okay. Harbaugh puts out a statement, as I feel like he does also every year. But (laughs) it's also, in the typical Harbaugh fashion, he's saying a lot, but also saying nothing in that it's not, like, a definitive answer. Because what he was saying, he he puts, he thinks he'll be the coach. But nobody knows what the future holds. So just kind of like a typical, like, Harbaugh proverb, he's like, I love... I'd love to be the coach of the University of Michigan football team, but I don't know if the future holds that. We'll see if the potato it- farm is still there. If there's enough rain, <laughs> if if there's enough rain on the potatoes, I would like to be the coach. That's so true. I'm surprised he didn't put a potato metaphor in there. But like the thing was like. He's made more emphatic statements in the past where he's like, I will be coaching. And this time he threw mm-hmm. in the little caveat where he's like, nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody. And then, like, Twitter was ablaze with opinions. Oh, and, I, like, some people were like, he wouldn't put no one knows what the future holds if he wasn't trying to leave it open-ended and ambiguous and let people know that, like, there was still a question. And then some people were like, Harbaugh's weird. Like, he probably just, like, <laughs> thinks that he needs to acknowledge that he can't predict the future because, like... He, like, doesn't want to, like, infringe on, like, the rights of future predictors. Like, and I could honestly see both ways. I, like, obviously Harbaugh's not the one writing these statements. He has, like, people doing that for him. But I could see him being like, no, you gotta, you gotta, like, specify that I don't know what, that no one knows what the future holds. Because only God knows what the future holds. But then I could also see that being a hint that, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It was a weird statement. (laughs) Um... And then Burgergate comes out. There had been... Brings us to Burgergate. 
rumors and like we knew or I guess people knew that Michigan was going to be receiving an issue of violation from the NCAA. Everyone finds out that it's about two burgers at the Brown Jug that were purchased for athletes that were already committed to the University of Michigan. And yeah, we've already discussed our thoughts on that. Um, and then, you know, there's some tweets going on like, oh, if if people are talking Harbaugh potentially leaving to the NFL up to like the changing landscape of college football, this does kind of explain it. Like if this is the kind of ridiculousness that he's putting up with, like getting in trouble for buying burgers for his commits when there are literally uh, coaches a few hours or like more than a few hours south um, purchasing other things for recruits and not getting any consequences for it, then like, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound like a good workplace dynamic. Not at all. Also, it's just like, why is this again, like, what you put your full chest on? Yeah, like it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so then we'll go into, like, the next point. And this is kind of getting more into, like, the nitty-gritty part. It's like the roots of the potatoes, I guess. Um, <laughs> You're becoming Harbaugh with these potato metaphors. <laughs> He's rubbing to, off like, be you. in, like, consumable context. And, like, if I were Jim Harbaugh. Well, I guess I wouldn't explicitly get on, like, a podcast and be like, yeah, it's a showdown between me and Ward Manual. But, um, I don't think it's a secret as well that Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manual don't really get along. Um, and that's usually, like, been the part of, like, strife the last, like, couple years. I mean, we were discussing it last year in the sense that, like, you know, Harbaugh was a lot more serious, like, literally interviewing for a coaching job in the NFL, and there just didn't seem like there was a lot of things that Wards was doing to try and, like, retain Harbaugh, even though, like, Harbaugh had, like, had the most successful football season at Michigan, like, in his tenure at the time last year, and it seems to be going pretty much the same route just did a control C, control V kind of moment here. Um, and uh, I think a lot of it stems at the current moment because, you know, NIL got introduced and Harbaugh, like, brought forward a plan for it and Ward pretty much just wrote it off, said no. Um, and so, obviously, some stuff between, like, the negotiations for, like, a new contract has been coming out. And there's the potential that Ward didn't really want to give Harbaugh, like, any favors because of the NCAA violations, um, which left a lot of people who, like, consumed this kind of news just confused, you know? Because you're like, why wouldn't you want to retain a guy that's been exceptionally successful for your football can- for your football program, albeit, you know, 2020, but nobody recognizes that, um. And again, like, if we have to go down for the burgers, yeah, we can just erase the 2020 season. I do not care. Um, but I think you have the best take and summary of what this whole thing is. Um, and that is just the typical two powerful men dynamic. Yeah, people, I've seen people ask, like, on both ends, they're like, Harbaugh would really leave because he wants a higher salary. Like, Harbaugh doesn't care about the money. He donated a good chunk of his salary. That may be true. Like, it might not be like he's looking at his bank account and he's like, oh, I got to get a new job if I want to have money for the things I want to do. But he still wants respect. And in his field, like many fields, respect comes in the form of being paid what you deserve. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's about respect and it's about, like, his ego. (laughs) Same with Ward Manuel from... What I've heard, which obviously I don't know the guy, I have never interacted with him, but from the rumors that I've heard, Ward Manuel is also a man (laughs) and also (laughs) likes power. And theoretically, or like technically, he is Jim Harbaugh's superior because he's the athletic director. But in the ways that college football works at universities like Michigan, Jim essentially holds more power than Ward Manuel. He's a bigger name. Like, and Ward Manuel doesn't like that Jim Harbaugh has more power than him, so he's lowballing him as like a power move. That like again, I have no like proof of this. So it's just it's just speculation. But people asking, like, why wouldn't Ward Manuel want to keep Harbaugh around? He's been so successful. 
it's all about egos and power. And if you know any human beings, specifically male human beings, it shouldn't be that hard for you to believe. So true. <laughs> so earlier today, um, Michigan's new university president, Santa Ono, got involved. Well, no, he got involved more than earlier today. It sounds like he had to get involved with the negotiations because he wants to see Harbaugh stay because Harbaugh's the best coach that Michigan could ask for, um, mm. which is just, like, sad that the university president had to step in on the negotiations between the AD and the football coach. And mm -hmm. it's also a huge shift from the, like, aloof, nerdy academics that Michigan has previously had as university presidents. I think some important context is that, like, Michigan has a chip on its shoulder because it wants to be an Ivy League and it isn't. So it typically hires Ooh. university presidents <laughs> who, like, are, like, oh, football, I don't care about sports. We're an academic institution. Um, that's kind of how Schlissel was. And I really like President Ono, the new president, because he's, like, so unabashedly proud to be the president of a university that has, like, such strong academics and athletics. And he's a huge sports fan. And it's just really cool to see the university president embrace that part of Michigan's culture because it is a huge part of Michigan's culture. So he had to get involved with the negotiations. And then he tweeted today that he really wants to see he and ward both really want to see harbaugh return so i think that was kind of his messaging to fans like hey i'm doing what i can like if the place has gotten so bad that harbaugh is not going to stay here anymore because he doesn't feel like he's being respected then like just know we did what we could at least that's my take on it and then here we are today because that tweet was just a couple hours ago yeah no literally so things are still evolving there's probably like more updates that will have to come hopefully that just means that we have like you know a contract for harwell so he's like actually like staying around and we have that confirmed because i would like to keep winning i would like to keep beating ohio state and going to the big 10 championship and making appearances in the college football playoff and i think in order to do that we need uh jimmy there and we need two men who probably will never will because they're raised men in a society dominated by men to um compare shoe sizes i guess and one thinks they're better than the other and um it's just all super annoying and typical and i wish men weren't like this yes <laughs> um oh what was i gonna say oh yeah this is like the most speculative thing i've said so like take this with like a bunch of grains of salt but like I have, like, a feeling in my gut that mm -hmm. Ward Manuel is more likely to be on the hot seat than Jim Harbaugh. Not that Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat, because if he left, it would theoretically be by choice, but, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I I would be more surprised to see Jim Harbaugh not return than I would to see Ward Manuel's tenure at Michigan come to an end. So I don't know. I People have been calling I, for Ward yeah. for so long now, and, like, I don't know, like, what the decision is. And, like, what goes yeah. into that whole process? I don't either, but I know it's, like, very closely tied to who the university president is. Because I remember reading about that in the John U. Bacon books about Dave Brandon. Interesting. Yeah. The, the drama and the gossip is at an all-time high at the University of Michigan this week. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next point. Harley, do you want to take this one? All right. Probably the best news that we have heard amongst all of the news. Um, and the most anticipated person announcing whether they were going to forego their eligibility and go to the NFL draft or return to Michigan for another season. And that was our all-star running back. Should have been Heisman candidate. But now that he's coming back, Heisman candidate Blake Corum, claiming that energy now, he announced that he was making his return, and, you know, <laughs> I'm so excited for what the future holds, and I wish it was football season already, because having Blake Horn back, we're, we're going to win the national championship. I don't think we've ever said in January before that we wish it was football season. Times have changed. No, literally. What was your, like, your reaction? I was so nervous when I saw that when he was making his announcement. I was like, I don't know if I like can stomach being there 
like live for when it happens, but then I like mm-hmm. got the news like thirty minutes like after it was already announced and I was so excited. Even though it was yeah. late to like the party, I was still so excited to be there. I honestly had like assumed he was gone just because I mm. feel like if you get a season engine ending injury like that, it kind of makes you reckon with the fact that like your time playing football is limited and if you want to get mm-hmm. your money, you got to go get it now. Um, which I think is like valid for anyone who does declare for the draft, but I was very, very excited to see he's returning. Um, and on that note, some players are not returning. That is part of <laughs> college football. You're not in college yeah. forever, unless you're Stetson Bennett. Um, but, so there's a lot of discussion and discourse. A lot of players declared for the draft, and then there were a couple players that transferred or, like, entered the transfer portal that people weren't really expecting. Um, Angel mm-hmm. Anthony was one. Maybe not as much of a surprise, but a little bit of a surprise. And then today, Iyabi Oki entered the transfer portal, which had a lot of people tweeting question marks. Um, Harley and I were talking about this yesterday, just like people entering the transfer portal and everyone being like, what, what could have happened? And like really analyzing it from an analytical <laughs> analysis. Um, and Harley, I really liked your perspective on why a 19-year-old boy or 20 or whatever age they are might mm-hmm. choose not to play football at the University of Michigan. And what we were speculating and what I've been kind of, like, you know, doing a little bit this entire time was Harbaugh's a weirdo. Like, imagine, like, you're showing up to practice and um, there's just this dude who's, like, spouting, like, weird proverbs about potatoes and, like, you have to listen to him. (laughs) So, like, I feel like there's probably, like, conflicts in personality, conflicts in, like, expectations. And I know that's probably, you know... You get to know those things, like, a little bit during the recruiting process, I assume. You're like, oh, this is a good fit for me. And then you just hear it every day, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can take another mashed potato, like, reference. Or a potato salad. Or a chicken is a nervous bird. Like, imagine hearing (laughs) that every single day. (laughs) I would not want to play football for Jim Harbaugh, I'm just saying. But, yeah, we were talking about this yesterday, and, like, literally we were not talking about any specific player um, kind of talking about like past players who don't even play college football anymore, but just like every just time, ourselves. yeah, or maybe just ourselves. <laughs> but every time a player unexpectedly transfers, I think we're kind of missing a piece of this conversation, which is that like there are human beings, and Harbaugh mm-hmm. has an extremely pol- polarizing personality. And mm-hmm. just from like the small amounts that we see of him, it makes sense that some people would be rubbed the wrong way and wouldn't want to play for him. And like that doesn't mean that's every situation, but it's not like everything is some big drama. Like, why did he leave? Like, was he toxic in the locker room? Like, what was going on? Was the locker room divided? Was it playing time? Like, it's sometimes like, I, I don't know. You've just got to guess that like a good number of people just don't vibe with the coaching staff, especially when the coaching staff is quirky AF. Also, like, you have to imagine that there are a lot of players who love the quirkiness. I'm thinking of J.J. McCarthy. Harley and I were thinking yesterday, just imagining. Yeah. J.J. probably, like, eats those potato metaphors up. He's probably, can I add, I have a Buddhist proverb that really builds on that. <laughs> so, like, it's a great fit for some players. And I'm proud to be a Michigan fan. But, man, I can I can understand if, like, the potato metaphors are not your cup of tea. <laughs> Or, you know, it's just a combination of all of the things that you already mentioned. Plus, you know, going to Michigan, it's exceedingly tough to do, like, the student aspect of it. And it's totally understandable if after a year you're like, I don't mesh well with the university, just in general. And that doesn't really necessarily mean, like, my relationships within the program are bad. But, like, you know, sometimes you don't really have, like, a positive experience, like, at the college that you're actually attending you know, you do football after school every day, and you do it on your weekends, and maybe you just don't and before really like, school. yeah, literally, like, maybe you just don't like Ann Arbor, and, like, that's not, like, a bad thing. There's plenty of times while I was in school where I didn't like being there, so, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you think it's an initial, like, good fit for you, and, like, it has, like, the glitz and the glamour because it is a place like Michigan, but sometimes that's not what you need or what you want and I 
obviously you're very well within your own power to be like, nope, this isn't working for me. I'd like to go somewhere else and see if that's a better fit for me as a person and will help get me to wherever I need to be. And I think you just got to give them that kind of space. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be something internalized or something wrong with the culture. Like, maybe you just really don't vibe with Michigan. Like, Michigan is so tough. <laughs> and I would totally understand why people would be like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> because I thought about it a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, and, like, there could be other reasons why specific players are transferring. Like, I really don't know. But mm-hmm. I just, you don't need to... um like catastrophize it (laughs) like I just I thought it was really funny because Harley and I were talking yesterday (laughs) and we were talking about Tariq Black and we were like talking about the different rumors we heard about why he transferred like years ago and then Harley's like he probably just got sick of like he had a rough game and then Harbaugh's like you needed to mash the potatoes a little bit harder (laughs) and he's like what does that mean I'm out of here (laughs) and it's like that's so true (laughs) no one talks about that (laughs) We're just not going to give the speculation that no one else wants to speculate. Literally. <laughs> like okay. One, one Harbaugh proverb too many. I'm done. In the combination I mean, with I the, like, you. it's dark at 4 p.m., no thank you. <laughs> it hasn't had sunshine in, like, in two months. months. I'm moving to Fort Worth, <laughs> Texas. Literally. Okay, can I'm I moving do my to Austin. truths and lies? I'm going to try so hard to succeed in this, but I'm also nervous because I know you didn't actually make them. <laughs> I did not. Carrie just sent them to me out of nowhere, and they have nothing to do with Michigan football. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait, they're all true. They're all true. <laughs> okay, then, like, make something. I'm not going to know if they're all true. Well, I mean, you already just said that they're all true. Make just okay, like, I'll fudge a number or something or, like, a word. <laughs> and I'll try and guess. <laughs> Former Alabama quarterback Mac Jones is now 0-7 against the Buffalo Bills in games where he throws more than three passes. The Arizona Cardinals have fired Cliff Kingsbury. The franchise has existed over 100 years and never has had a head coach last as long as Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan. This is the first time in 45 years that both the Mariners and the Seahawks have made the playoffs in the same season. Oh, I know. Wait, what was the, like, this is the first time in how many years? For the Mariners and Seahawks? Yeah, 45. What? I thought it was a lot. I thought it was in the 2000s. You thought it's been 2,000 years since the Mariners and Seahawks have made the playoffs? No, like, I thought it was, like, 2012 or, like, 2008. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if you took world history, but the Mariners... Nor the Seahawks existed 2,000 years ago. I know that. <laughs> Jesus was not rooting for the Mariners. Or the Seahawks. Or rooting against them. I literally like read that in a tweet. And I did not think it was 45 years ago. But it's entirely <laughs> possible. Um. Oh, I forgot. If the second one is true, like the Cardinals haven't had a coach around for more than eight years it's kind of funny um and the first one what was the first one former alabama quarterback mac jones is now 0-7 against the buffalo bills in games where he throws more than three passes you see i didn't realize that like one mac jones went to alabama or i just forgot and then two that he had been in the NFL long enough to play the Buffalo Bills seven times. <laughs> you remember Mac Jones at Bama? He was like, no. after Chua, it was like, now they have this Mac guy. What's he going to do? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's coming back to me like a little bit. It was also when Tua kept getting injured. They were like, there's this kid named Mac who has to play now. <laughs> at least that's how I interpreted it. Maybe three to Bama passes. fans it was different. He's 0-7 against the Bills in games where he throws more than three passes. True or false? It's true. It has to be true. 
It's false. He's 0-4 against the Bills in games where he throws oh. more than three passes. Okay, so I was right to, like, have that gut instinct. It was like, there's no way Mac Jones has played the Buffalo Bills seven <laughs> times. No, I don't know how many times he's played the Bills, because I don't know how the NFL works. But he's, like, five years old, so... <laughs> I said it was like I obviously like don't remember his time in Alabama, so then of course I'm not gonna remember like how long he's been. On the <laughs> you're, you're like I actually like vividly remember every time the Patriots have played the Bills in the past couple of years, and the number of passes. Even though like the Patriots don't have Tom Brady anymore, they're still my least favorite franchise in the NFL. So I'm definitely not watching Mac Jones play. <laughs> like, what? Um. But also, isn't it funny that the Cardinals, the the truth part of this, they've never had a head coach stay at the Cardinals as long as Jim Harbaugh's been at Michigan. They've also mm-hmm. never had a head coach last over six years. It's so bizarre. It also made me laugh that you're like, the Cardinals are like 100 years old. I'm like, what? <laughs> Jesus was <laughs> watching the Cardinals. <laughs> But then I remember, I'm like, yeah, the check's out. There's obviously football happening, like, 100 years yeah, ago. When so. was 100 years ago? <laughs> Nin- 19, 19, 1923. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Roaring Twenties. Cardinals. Who knew? <laughs> okay. Well, well, Little did we know, yeah. <laughs> that just transitioned us into a conversation about football. Um, so good. Okay. There you go. Pull up my screenshots here. I hope we have the yeah. same ones. I'm sure we do. Oh, I have a physical book. Ooh. Yeah, I have my. I have the book on my Apple Books. Okay. Whatever it's um, I'll like quickly introduce it. I I briefly think I mentioned what this book is last week, but it's called Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back by Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davidson. Um, It's about basically all of the many moral and ethical dilemmas that sports fans face if they allow themselves to like truly look at the institutions that they're participating in. And it's written by two sports journalists who are huge sports fans. So it's not saying that we shouldn't like sports. Like, I believe, I think, Harley, I think you believe, I think the authors believe that sports are, like, a net positive for society, but that doesn't mean that you should turn a blind eye to the massive problems that both they perpetuate and that exist within the systems. Um, And this is a conversation that, like, I think we're going to have to have a lot of nuance in because it's not something where you can really have any form of black and white thinking, like, this is right and this is wrong. It's, like, Mm -hmm. very complicated, but... um, The chapter that we read was about traumatic brain injuries in football players and also in athletes in general. We're going to have like a conversation um, about our role as fans and whether we are complicit in that system and in which ways we contribute to that um, by like, you know, monetarily and with our time supporting professional and college football, which college football is a business. So it's also professional football in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And just, like, what that means to us, especially, like, this came to the forefront of everyone's mind last week when, I guess over a week ago now, when DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field and it looked for a solid moment, like, he may have lost his life on that field and it really forced a lot of people to reckon with, like, what our role is as football player or we are not football players as football fans because it just felt like very barbaric in this moment of like, oh, we're watching these men like possibly fight to the death for our entertainment. Like, is this what we want to put our time and money and energy into? So that's the conversation we're having now. And again with like the nuancing because like obviously we can talk ourselves in circles about whether or not, you know, you're thinking too much into it, you know, all that kind of things. But the main focus is realizing that these athletes are like, yes, this is like the career path that they chose for themselves. And yes, they go to practice, go to their games every single day, like understanding that when they take the field, they're at risk of being hurt or worse. And um, just kind of want to get out of the way. But to provide an update, obviously, 
as we already mentioned, Damar Hanlon went down during the Buffalo Bills-Cincinnati Bengals game on Monday night football over a week ago at this point. Um, he has since been released from the UC hospital in Cincinnati and returned home to Buffalo. Um, he had woken up a few days prior to returning some earlier this week, and, you know, it was one of those things that he asked, like, how the game went, and you read it and you get that you know he was trying to like lighten the mood or you know trying to say something like funny and positive but um at the same time it was just kind of when I read it I was like yeah, this is like a little depressing to be like oh how did the game go just like assuming that you know he probably like knew the severity of like his situation and to think that the game still went on afterwards is kind of like everyone's general assumption and I'm glad that the game like didn't actually commence afterwards and I don't know there's a lot to grapple with in that situation but I'm really obviously glad that like everybody that he's awake that he is talking that um he's back home and that uh everyone just surrounded him and he was like really appreciative of of like the people that saved his life and you know, we we avoided a catastrophe and, like, found a miracle. And that's why I think it's still, like, super important to, like, have this discussion at all is because, you know, his life is forever changed because of a play that is a normal football play. Um, there was nothing malicious behind it. He went in for a tackle. That's what you do. <laughs> um, and, you know, it almost cost him his life. So it's a little different, obviously, but, like, playing a high-impact sport like football, um, there's obviously the underlying conditions of, like, traumatic brain injury, CTE, um, concussions, and that obviously has a wide range of effects on your body as a whole. And even though it's obviously not the same things, not the same condition, there's a lot of things that we are tangible that we can pull out of this chapter um, as it relates to just having your body out there for people's entertainment but then also like it being at risk of being severely harmed yeah I'm trying to organize my thoughts I really recommend if you're interested in this topic um, reading this book and I'm gonna let you know it's a it is a dry read like it is like academic <laughs> article citation after academic article citation it's a lot of information that's how the whole entire mm -hmm. book is um but it's really really informative and basically like to summarize to like really really oversimplify some of what the chapter discusses in terms of the research on brain trauma um there's a spectrum. A concussion is like a single event that is like a traumatic brain injury. And then CTE mm -hmm. is like a longer term, like as a result of like um, repeat, like brain injury over the, the course of your life, basically. Um, and football players are not the only ones at risk for these injuries, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, they mentioned that cyclists by and large have the largest rate of concussions, which actually, which actually makes sense. Um, but the reason we're not having this conversation about cyclists is because a cyclist isn't cycling isn't as much of a spectator sport as football and b we mm -hmm. talk a lot about football on this podcast so um, mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever once talked about cycling. <laughs> um, can I like give my first discussion question? Sure. Okay, I'm gonna start by like prefacing with a little bit of my. Um, thought process and this kind of comes from a conversation Hartley and I had last week where I kept going back and forth because obviously being a professional football player has huge risks on the job which is what we're talking about in terms of risks to your health and safety but like that being said like a lot of jobs involve risks to your health and safety and a lot of those jobs are a lot have a lot worse compensation um and, like, the people in it aren't in those jobs as nearly as much, like, out of their own choice as much as, like, needing the money. So, on one hand, it's kind of hard for me to be like, oh, these football players are being exploited because there are people who are truly being very much exploited and, like, mm -hmm. are facing risks for huge injuries and, like, 
equally dangerous jobs who are not be being like praised and highly compensated and um, like really choosing to go into that field. But at the same time, I don't want to get into like whataboutism where you just ignore one problem by talking about another. So mm -hmm. that being said, one like thing that really struck me from this chapter was that like education and youth are like really intertwined with football like it's very common for middle schools and high schools to have football teams and so mm -hmm. that's a situation where you're not just saying like oh these athletes chose to go into it out of their own choice they're adults they're consenting adults they can make this decision it's like no our public institutions are encouraging children to ch choose this sport from like a very young age um and something that really stood out to me in the book is they're like just because risks exist in the world doesn't always mean we inflict them upon children and do them in school like in schools we don't have drugs we don't have guns like those are risks that do exist in the world but that doesn't mean we're like having our public schools like encourage children to take part in those risks so <laughs> that was I'm like out of breath from trying to get my point across so I hope I got that across <laughs> clearly but my question is like what are your thoughts on youth contact sports after reading this like do you have, like, do you think that is a big part of the problem? Do you think it should exist? I think sports in general are good for youth, but specifically contact sports, like, what is, what was your takeaway regarding that specifically? In that instance, I think I've taken on the lot of, what a lot of more, like, modern day parents have kind of adopted is, um, it just seems so ridiculous to like play like football you're like I was used to like football specifically like as like so young there's like no real like need for it but like obviously it's like a super popular sport maybe they're watching it in their family every day and they like see it and they're like oh I want to do this and the age groups of people playing football as young or I guess the age groups of these little boys essentially is getting younger and younger and younger and I think that just introduced, like, a slew of problems that nobody, like, knows for, like, certain what could happen. Because, obviously, this isn't something that has been, like, studied for years on end. We still don't fully know, like, how football impacts a grown adult. And, um, or, like, an older individual, even though football has been around for over 100 years. We don't know the full extent to, like, what it does to your body. And having that, like, unknown, I feel like is too high of a risk for, the, like, the reward of being able to, like, play football. Not that I wanted to, like, negate, like, again, it's super important for, like, kids to have that space, to have fun, to play sports, and to get introduced to something that they're really passionate about and, you know, gets them outside, gets them playing. Um, but at the same time, you don't really need to, like, introduce, like, you know, the physical, like, violence of football so early like flag football is fine I know they mentioned that um in the chapter but then you know it's tough because you're like we are we know how violent football is but you can also you know get cuss playing soccer or gymnastics or yeah almost and, just as much too like football just yeah. has more of that like appearance of violence but that it isn't mm -hmm. the sport with the most concussions at all mm -hmm. and so I think that's probably, like, where we need to, like, have, like, the most, like, awareness is that, like, yeah, we know, like, sports like hockey and um, American football are obviously very physically violent. That's how, that's their nature. That's how they always are. And that's how it will appear to always be unless something changes drastically. But we can't just, like, be like, oh, I'm keeping my kids safe by putting them into swimming. I don't know. I mean... There's been multiple times I've cracked my head on the side of a pool wall. Um, but just knowing that there's inherent risks in all of the sports and just kind of, like, being, like, aware of, like, symptoms and, like, monitoring, like, that different kind of thing. And just because, like, you kind of, like, you can't really just sit up there and, like, pride yourself and be like, oh, man, I will never let my kid play football. But that just kind of seems, like, ignorant in the sense that, like, oh, just, you think a different sport is safer. So I don't know if I, like, made, like, a true point in just saying that, like, I think there just needs to be more broader education on it because I think a lot of people think others, like, no contact sports aren't as risky as contact sports. But since we know so little, 
about the impact of just sports on general and the human body and how specifically like the brain your functionality um just to like tread lightly and just don't kind of like write it off because somebody chose to play football there's people that choose to do other sports and they're still at inherent risk so it's kind of like looking at maybe for you like what do you think like people can like draw the line at like or do Mm -hmm. they need to have that like perspective like oh I'm better than a parent from like 20 years ago because they let their kid play football I would never let my kid play football because I know the risks that come with it but then you know they're out there playing soccer or ice skating or skiing (laughs) I don't know yeah, and then you get to, like, it's just risky to be alive. Like, the um, there was a, a part of the book that I thought was interesting where they're, like, almost all of the research on concussions is about, like, sports, but people get concussions mm-hmm. all the time from, like, mm-hmm. daily things. I'm sure there's data that shows, like, you're way more likely to get a concussion from playing football than you are from walking down the street. Um, and then each sport has its own concussion rates, which also gets murky because um, it's – it's hard to know what a concussion is and it's self-reported and they get into that a lot. Like there are a lot of sociocultural factors rather than biophysical in terms of like Mm -hmm. who has the highest concussion rates and that it comes down to like who knows what the symptoms are, who is willing to self-report, who like all of that stuff. So there's truly so much we don't know. But yeah, my like gut feeling is I'm like, oh, I would never let my kids play football. But then Mm -hmm. I'm like, what I come down to is not what you were saying, which is also really interesting that, like, any sport has that risk. Like, in football just kind of has the reputation because you, like, physically see them intentionally knocking each other over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, like, if I'm going to say I would never let my kids play football, then, like, what am I doing promoting it on a podcast and, like, talking about 18-year-old boys playing football and, like, mm-hmm. celebrating it and spending my money on it? Like, where do I draw the line there in terms of, like... I mean, I'm I'm 24 years old. Like, I I <laughs> do not have a child, and I don't want to have a child anytime soon. But, like, as I get a little older, like, viewing the football players no longer as, like, my peers, but as, like, younger than me and thinking, like, I spend a lot of time, like, supporting them and cheering them on and spending my money on them participating in the sport that I can, like, emphatically say that I wouldn't want my children to participate in. It's, like, that's, um, I don't know. It's, like, something to unpack. It's, like like I said, like, there's not a black and white answer, but I think it's important that we, like, don't shy away from thinking about stuff like that. And I think it's also interesting to consider, like, this is a child that is, like, I want to play football. And obviously children have, like, a really, like, good ability to, like, understand. But, like, imagine, like, having to, like, sit down with a kid and be, like, because all of their friends are playing football be like, oh, you can't play football because, you know, there's not enough research. Or you can get hurt. There, We don't know a whole lot about, you know, brain injury and all of this. And while a kid has, like, the capability to, like, understand all of the things that you're discussing with them, is that going to win out, you know, over the, like, social like social impacts that, that will be? And be like, oh, you know, like, will they be able to, like, hear that kind of, like, reasoning, you know? Like, they're just... I just, like, picturing, like, for myself, like, if you came to me, I'm, like, 11 years old, and you're, like, oh, you can't do that, and be, like, well, why not? Everybody else is doing it, you know? It's, like, one of those kind of situations where, like, yeah, like you and in, in your, like, young adolescent mind can't, like, deeply ingrain those, like, risks because you're at a stage in your life where you're, like, everything is, like, so awkward in a sense, and, like, you really want to just be able to, like fit in really well and football is definitely like one of those places where like you can be like you know part of something bigger or have some kind of like social status like oh I do this where especially like in that time frame you're just grappling for some kind of see me kind of thing so and to present a kid with, oh, you can't do that because of this, they're not going to be able to, like, fully hear that because they're like, no, you're taking this space away from me and I need that in order to kind of, like, figure out, like, who I am, how I fit in everywhere. So I think that's something also to consider is you can come from such a pure and intentional place that sometimes that, like, social aspect can, like, really, like, hammer in to 
how someone can like reason with it. So what I'm hearing is that we live in a society. We really do. <laughs> but also like that almost makes me feel like we're even more complicit if like mm-hmm. what is making children participate in sports is because it is such a large part of our culture and it's so ingrained in like part of socializing and being a kid and fitting in it's like Mm -hmm. then people like us who like spend our spare time making podcasts about football are even more like we're like making that system happen we're like we're like if football is so a part of our culture that like the traumatic brain injuries aren't enough to like make people stop playing because it's so deeply ingrained then like the people who are making it a part of the culture are at fault but then again i'm saying that but then also knowing that like i it's not all bad and it, and I truly am someone who is not afraid to like give up something I enjoy because I think the moral implications are bad like it, mm-hmm. I'm not like like I don't shy away from that and I truly like love watching football and think that it's like generally a good thing for our culture otherwise I would not participate in it but like it is just so murky there yeah because I was drawing that unintentionally but I did take a screenshot of it um, a part of the book was talking about, um, it says, to give up football would be to give up their communities and their careers. Um, it gives them oh, a lot of their social contacts, like you just said, for their entire life. There's the camaraderie. You're, pro- you're proud of being part of that group. Um, and it is often, though not necessarily, something they love. Um, so they, you know, they talked with, like, college football players. They're like, is some of the most fun that you had. And... It's just, like, a that's inherently difficult for somebody to, like, give up. Especially if they're already in it, you know? Mm-hmm. It would be hard to give away that. And it's, like, the same thing of, like, when you're being introduced to it. Like, you're giving up that space, that community, that potential camaraderie. And um, it's a really big part of life. And so I think just being able to be able to understand that in some sense like you know like I understand that there's like risk with this I'm willing to take on those risks because this is something that I deeply enjoy and this is a group of people that we hear this all the time from like the players themselves they're like these are like my brothers I spend my entire like waking time with these people they know me better than anybody and I feel like for me personally, that'd be so hard to walk away from, you know, even though I'd be like, oh, you know, like, this is really dicey. But also, like, I really love these people that I see every day, and I wouldn't really want to give it up. Yeah, I think maybe my biggest takeaway is that, like, playing football professionally is a high-risk, high-reward profession. We don't know all the risks yet, but, like, there are a lot of professions that involve a lot of risks to your health and safety that are not highly compensated, and football Mm -hmm. is one where it's a lot of risks to your health and safety for potentially huge compensation and fame and a lot of things that people strive for. But I think the biggest murkiness comes from it's not a job where, like, you turn 18 and you're choosing your job and you're like, oh, I'm willing to take this risk. It's a job Mm -hmm. where when you're... 12 years old your teacher comes and says hey I think you'd be a really good fit for this football team and like it's from a young age we're pumping people into the system I think there's another conversation to be had about who's being pumped into the system and why like um, Mm -hmm. who's in need of college scholarships and like football offers a lot of scholarships I think that's a whole other conversation but yeah I think it's murky and important to continue to talk about and important that the funding goes into that research, which is another thing that they talked about in the book was that like the NFL had donated to the NIH and claimed that the money could be used for anything. But later it came out that they were discouraging or blocking the NIH from doing concussion research, which I don't know. Mm-hmm. We already know the NFL sucks. So yeah, literally. <laughs> and just going back one last time, the other thing that I wanted to highlight from the book, um, and specifically it goes around like athletes making choices and goes athletes are making choices about things that even scientists don't know a ton about and disagree on and that's not to say that these athletes aren't ignorant are ignorant of the possibility of their choices but it is a call to empathy 
um, when you're choosing to play football or any professional sport. It's how they make money for the family to support the family. Um, this is work. This is a job. It's their livelihood, and the job is not always secure. Um, and obviously, you get into a job that you like played, like worked so hard to like do. They want to play it for as long as they can, obviously, to maximize, like it says, to maximize their benefits for everything that they've worked so hard toward. And they want to do the best job they can. And you're making all those decisions while also, like, considering their health amid of, it's a steady stream of changing and increasing information about concussions and CTE. So you have, like, all of this, like, wealth of information and it's for them, it's also, like, hard to, like, navigate through all of that because you're just constantly in that, like, balance of, like, pro-con, pro-con, and I feel like for anybody, and, like, regardless of, like, any other sports or any other profession, you're constantly, like, wearing those in, like, your head um, because this is the livelihood that we had chosen or, like, was chosen for us, and, yeah, I can understand how already feels like going around and around a loop of like oh you know we've reached a point where we can like understand like this is what it is for certain people and that it is a job and they want to provide for their family for themselves to like maybe get out of a situation that they didn't want or just to like attain something that they've been striving towards um but then also like oh I don't want to think about getting hurt or never playing again or having long-term brain damage or everything else in between. And I feel like for any person, it would be so overwhelming to think about all the time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, that was we should do book clubs more often. Maybe we can look at another chapter from this book sometime. It's very good, yeah. Um, any last words before we wrap it up for the week? Uh... I think so. If you enjoyed the book and want to read on more, you maybe we'll discuss it. If not, um, we'll keep you updated on all the shenanigans. <laughs> yes. Okay. Go blue. And go blue.